of Jesus withdrawing, he says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. This week, we're, or the next few weeks, actually, we're taking a very rare um, uh, break from some of the uh, lectionary readings and incorporating other re- readings that will allow us to be able to introduce you to um, some of the themes that we're hoping to focus on in our church in the next year especially, but are so uh, capture so much the heart of who we are as Anglican Christians. In Advent last year, you remember I was captured by the image of a monastery. Uh, the, the images on the wall painted, some of you saw as you came in today, uh, of, a, of a monastery. The architecture struck me partly because I'm just visual and think, think that it's a cool image. But more so, it was the image last year at Advent of the cloister that captured my attention as a, a, a part of a monastery that is useful, but also is reflective or symbolic of a deeper inner reality. You know, it's symbolic of that open space that we need to create in order to meet God there, understanding that in the midst of noise and even good things, that there are times where we have to stop and, and, and listen for the voice of God and there find ourselves refreshed. Well, the whole architecture of the monastery is interesting because it's very symbolic of the values that we hold near and dear to our hearts, of tradition and formation and hospitality and, of course, in all things beauty. The need for open spaces, for instance, in the case of a cloister, is is, uh, representative of the whole thing, That, that there is an outward real reality at work in our lives, but it is a, there is a deeper reality that is unseen. The first rule of St. Benedict is reflective of Psalm 40, uh, 34, which reads, listen carefully, my, and the first rule reads, listen carefully, my son, to the master's instructions and attend to them with the ear of your heart. The first rule of all of the rules that you find in Benedict's writing is to stop is to listen. And Jesus demonstrates this in his own life, so a, life that's sur- a life that was surrounded, obviously, by very, very good things, yet he still had this intention to meet with God in the quiet, all alone, in isolation, acknowledging the source of his strength, the source of our strength. However, Jesus doesn't stay withdrawn. To be withdrawn for Jesus is for the purpose of then going in among the people, doing the work of God, demonstrating the work of the kingdom. But we see a definite rhythm that Jesus establishes in life, a life that you see in a monastery, for instance, and a life that even we are called as everyday people to emulate in our own lives, these rhythms. Now, to be Anglican. Anglican means English. We are descendants of the English church. And it's helpful for us to think about some of the unique character of this, uh, the church that we've sort of descended from. 
Now, let me, let me be very, very clear on this. We are not here to make Anglicans to the exclusion of being Christians. These Anglican practices, however, as people who participate in this way, are inherited forms that we find as very helpful instruments to lead us to the heart of God. That's why we're here. We are here to believing in these practices that lead us into walking with Jesus. Our aim, our mission is to become like Jesus. We're clear on that. It's not to become a monk. It's not to become Anglican. But to use these practices as instruments that lead us on a journey toward the heart of God. That's why we're here. The practices are not the end. The end, the telos, the goal, is not just to get the practices right. But I want to talk to you about the way our, our lives are arranged in these, this unique way. In order that we might learn how to walk closer with God. That we might be found in God. Now, the English church is unique in several ways, but it was very unique in that it, on the continent, the church was planting monasteries. But in England, monasteries planted the church. And so because of that, the church had a unique character about it. Now, this wasn't just a Benedictine monastery that you might be familiar with. Benedictine monasteries, which have the, the rule of St. Benedict, this orderly way of life, but it, in the beginning, the Eastern Church introduced us to a Celtic way which is poetic and beautiful. And what we eventually see is Rome say, hey, we need to get these people on the frontier out there in, in, in the, um, on the British Isles. We need to make sure that they're living in, in the proper way in the life of the church. And so they sent St. Saint Augustine of Canterbury over there to get us out under control. And what he found was an established church that had liturgies that were already established and went back to Rome and said, these people, they have their, is it okay? And he said, is it orthodox? Yeah, yeah, that's right, beliefs. Yeah. Well, they have arisen out of the life of the community and they gave this sort of permission to continue in that way. Which means that we have been unique for many, many years among all Christians. I don't think this is to distinguish us from the rest of the Christians in the world, but might help us understand the way that we are a gift to the rest of the church. That we are a people of prayer. We are a people of rhythms and patterns. We are everyday monks. Our first thought of the monastic life, of being monks, might be about living in solitude and in isolation. And it was originally that. However, it became more about a movement of people who were moving in the same direction with one thought, with one heart, and that was aimed at Christ. Greg Peters is an Anglican scholar who studies monasticism, and he says... He refers to monks as people who are single-minded in the same direction. Toward God. 
St. Anthony was an early monk, and he went off into the desert, and he was like, I want to just live a life completely devoted to the Lord. So I'm going to um, distance myself from everyone else. And, and these desert monks eventually took on these rhythms of prayer, of, of asceticism, extreme fasting, of giving alms, of, and, and especially of living in harmony with one another. So to sing the psalms for them, one, Augustine says, singing the psalms is like praying them twice. If you sang, sung songs when you were a little kid, you still remember them. They get in our brains in a certain way. And, and not only that, but singing them together, even as difficult as it is sometimes to do this uh, responsive reading, is a prayer in itself that the things that we say with one voice would be a, a way that God brings our hearts together. It's one. However, St. Basil went, are we, are we, you're with me, <laughs> all of this stuff? He went from the Eastern Church down to the desert, met with St. Anthony, and saw the way they were living their lives and said, I'm going to take this home. So he takes this back up to Asia Minor, and he says, listen, I gotta, we got to figure out how to implement these things. These are the most sold-out, devoted Christians. We want to see the same thing happen here. How can we implement them? But they took a unique character, and here's what that looked like. It looked like desert monks implementing their rhythms of life in the midst of the city. How does that look? Well, all of a sudden, these people who are isolated from all of civilization are walking around the city. And we have an example of what comes about from that. Basiliad. St. Basil built a structure that became what we know of as the first hospital. A xenodokia, which means a house of hospitality. A place for the friendless stranger. Those who are traveling but don't have a place to stay. A place for... Um, food pantries, and soup kitchens. All of this comes out of this vision. And it was that church that brings across the north over into the British Isles, Scotland and Ireland and so forth, and plants what would be the seed of Anglicanism. This is us. Everyday monks. Monks who live sold out, set apart, not from the world, but for the world. A good way to think about this is even just thinking about walls. Many times when you see a complex of walls, you think, oh my goodness, like they're trying to isolate themselves from everyone else. And while they do, especially in that frontier life among warring clans, obviously there was, I'm sure, an original intent to keep themselves uh, safe. However, they took these literal walls, took on a more symbolic meaning. The meaning was this. How can we encapsulate an image of new creation? And what they did was they invited people into the walls to experience in a literal way what it means to be a part of another kingdom. And so outside the walls, when they were um, wronged, they would exact punishment and kill their enemies. They would come into the monastery and they would say, what do you mean? This is a way of forgiveness. These people pray for each other. These people um, are, are humble. 
And they see a new way. And so out from the walls of the church, they are sent into the community. And it's a very unique way of evangelism because they begin looking at people fishing and they say, can I just bless this stream for you? Sure. They would bless it. And they would, can I I just bless this road that you're walking on that you could have? Yeah, bless it. And so now these people are set apart, not saying, hey, we're protecting ourselves from you. But we are a people who are set apart for the life of this neighborhood as a picture of new creation. This is us. This is our heritage. A way of inviting people into a new way. Sending people out. These first monasteries were established on tidal islands. You think, have, has any, have you, any of you been to Iona in Scotland? A couple of you, have any of you been to Lindisfarne, Holy Island in England? This is a, England, a, a, a monastery that was built to evangelize that part of England. Again, it was on a tidal island. And so they would retreat at high tide back to the island. Not to keep themselves just from the world that they were created to evangelize, but to equip themselves to pray, to learn the language of the local people, to, li- to, to, experience, to engage in self-examination, and then to go back into the world when the tide went down and to love and serve them for the sake of the kingdom of God. In these rhythms, they would go back and they would pray and they would go out, and they would serve. Listen, here, what you are here doing today is you are praying not at the end of your week, but at the beginning of your week. That you might go out to love and serve the Lord and the people that you engage and encounter every day. This is who we are. This is our heritage. A sending community, a praying community, Did you know that the Book of Common Prayer that we pray from every week is an adaptation of the Benedictine rule? These these hours of prayer that monks prayed when the, the church was established in the British Isles was reduced to morning prayer and evening prayer in order that everyday people might become everyday monks. These rhythms are our heritage. Hours of prayer, hours of life together that were made accessible to everyday people. The Anglican expression is more, again, than the order of just Benedictine rule, Benedictine monasticism. If you think about the British Isles, if you think about the enormous amount of artists and poets that come out of that, er- that area of the world in this, in this era of civilization. It is because they learned to see the world differently. They were given real, physical, tangible things, the way God gives us real wine and real bread as invisible ways of receiving grace. They look at the world and they see it as enchanted, alive, and beautiful. 
And so we go out into the world as Anglicans, conditioned and made to see anew by the Spirit of God as tour guides who go into this world and say, see, there he is. You encounter someone, see, there he is. There he is. And we are people devoted to this beautiful way of life. And that's why when we inherited the hours of prayer as English Christians' descendants, they didn't just pray it. They said, we have to sing it. While it was chanted, or, or while it was said, the Psalms for many, many years, Anglicans came up with this new thing that is unique to us called Evensong. It's how can we make it even more beautiful? How can this be even a greater offering to the ears of God and to those who hear it? How can it be more compelling and alluring? Let's sing it together. You see, this is a collective way. And listen to me. It confronts the way of the world. Maybe you saw the article that was making its rounds around social media. It was on the Atlantic and then all of these outlets. And it was about how, uh, uh, on the decline of the church. And the person who was doing research and presented through all of these secular um, news outlets came to a conclusion about the decline of the church. Are you ready? Listen. It's not because the church was asking too little, or not because it was asking too much. It was because it was asking too little. His conclusion is that the church was asking too little and that Christians attended church every week didn't understand what it means to give themselves to fully to community with Christ at the center. The rhythms of prayer, we ask one night a week. We have a morning prayer, evening prayer. But it's also meant for you to do in your own home. At the back of this book, there is a reading plan in a prayer, in morning and evening prayer. And the understanding is this. People say sometimes, do we say us and we when we do morning prayer, even when we're alone, and we say yes. We say us and we. Why? Because even when we're apart, we're praying together. We are a people, as those in Acts 4, who were committed with one heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. This is what it means for us in closing. We are people committed to stability. That means that we are committed to our, each other and we are committed to our place. This, <clears throat> I cannot convince you never to move. But I pray that if you do move, that it's excruciatingly hard to leave this community because of our devotion to one another. But our monastic uh, fathers and mothers said that before you can be in a community, you must go back to your cell and do conduct self-examination. 
Because when you realize your own shortcomings, our own need for mercy and forgiveness, only then we can we act in community. We are a people with common rhythms of prayer and scripture. We are a people, in the coming weeks we'll talk more about this, devoted to extreme acts of hospitality. And we are a people who give particular attention to beauty. We acknowledge that the way our souls are shaped, that our souls are shaped by where we worship. That our attention to beauty shapes even our neighborhoods and our families. I'm going to end with this by, from St. Basil of Caesarea. He says, the monastic life is only, of only one kind, having but one goal, the glory of God. The journey that we set out on as the people of God worshiping at Redeemer Anglican Church is that single-minded journey to the heart of God. And we'll, we have started already, and we invite you to participate to the glory of God. Amen.